digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD, along with me for the ride. This week is TJ2 the Deuce. What are you drinking, T? A Guinness Extra Stout. Ooh. Well done. Very nice. Very nice. And your storyteller today, Mr. Will the Thrill. Uh, what's your drink of choice? Well, I'm staying with the theme that I started. This is a brass monkey. Are you just trying to get rid of the banana liqueur? Yeah, and drinking it is not working out so well. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I think I'd see if it doubled as Drano. Yeah. <laughs> you can use it to wash your car. Yeah. Yeah. Or power your car. Take your pick. Let's see. Yeah. So this week, uh, really sad news, twice over. Uh, We lost a goat. Uh, Yesterday, we lost, at the age of 91, we lost Christopher Plummer. And, like, legitimately, that sucks out loud because Sound of Music was one of the first movie musicals I ever saw. And that sent me down a path of my love of musicals and storytelling. And, and he was a integral part of that. And then as, as recently as the last film I saw with him in was, which was Knives Out. And he's just done so much. I, I mean, he's video got, games, yeah. movies, Broadway, just the list goes on. And then more sad news was that literally last week we announced it, that Dustin Diamond had stage four cancer and now he's already gone. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is sucks because I guarantee you, I guarantee you that you guys, along with me, like I was absolutely a screech. I guarantee you, more mm-hmm. of us were screeches than were Zach's. So might be a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, yeah. there's a whole series called Zach Morris's Trash, and it is hilarious. So, there was actually one, but before that, that we neglected to mention, and we should not have neglected to mention it, given that it's a. Uh, a theme that has run through our uh, our podcast for quite a while. What is it? That being that being Larry King. Yes. Yes. Great Larry King. Uh, yes. I know this is a shocker for anybody who knows us that something we do might get over the top. We, we do it in such ridiculously over the top fashion. You may not know that when we say stuff like tonight, Maxi Priest for the full hour, <laughs> that we are in fact doing Larry King. What's <laughs> it? Taking your calls. Oh, wow. Yeah. The Captain Hollywood Project, coming your way tonight. For the full hour, Terry Webb and the Spiders. Shakespeare's sister for the full hour. <laughs> R.I.P. Suspenders Man, and, and yeah. one of the best interviewers there's probably ever been. Okay, so, uh, segueing <laughs> from one... <laughs> Another, here's That's my appropriate. <laughs> well, wait a minute, I was going with the content... <laughs> the content of the episode oh, uh, nuts. which speaking of there is a language and content warning for this episode not only for lyrics but for language i think i think we probably should have read that before i started talking yeah yeah <laughs> i think we should start off every episode just to be safe probably so again this thrills me because i rarely get to cover artists where this is the case but we have a lyrics warning we have direct quotes that do include some uh, inappropriate words and we have salacious content Ooh. Yes, I like I'm a fan of salacious content. It is salacious. Uh, in fact, many of these are in the, the annals of Beastie Boy and rock history as we go back to the life of Mr. Adam Yauk. Let's do this. All right. So when we last left you, I believe the song we departed on was She's On It, which was yep. 
way better than most of the stuff we <laughs> which was to. the best thing that we played by a long 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 way last week well look when you start with riot fight there's an evolution and we're trying to demonstrate that evolution through the canon of the beastie boys and now we have arrived folks at the two most pivotal albums in the beastie boy canon okay to quote mr michael diamond we enjoyed it like the fools we were. And that pretty much sums up this image of the Beastie Boys circa the mid-1980s. They were a caricature. They were all about excess, sexism, violence, drinking, drugs, and they were really becoming something different under Rick Rubin. Now, if you've ever watched an interview with the Beastie Boys, it's rather challenging because you really don't know what's serious and what isn't. So you kind of have to sift through the content there. Also, Mike D was decidedly the spokesman for the group. He would often take point, and Yauk was more like the silent father figure who would kind of sit back and, you know, just kind of approve with a glance of, of what was going on. And Ad Rock was waiting to deliver a joke, which he was very good at. So you have these three characters coming out of Brooklyn, and we have not yet even arrived at their first album, ladies and gentlemen, License to Ill. Or as Joan Rivers called it, License to Kill, if you remember that introduction, which is quite hilarious. <laughs> Hey, remember when Joan Rivers had her own talk show? The Joan Rivers show, right? Yeah. That was yeah. So I'm going to dispel two myths about the Beastie Boys in one go here. First off, License to Ill was really not their first album. We demonstrated some of their earlier works. Yeah. We, I was going to say, we actually discussed an earlier album in we did, episode yeah. one. Yeah. Yes, and also they released a series of singles, many of which would land on the License to Ill album. Also, the sophomore album which we will cover today paul's boutique was not the first use of sampling a lot of that actually came out of the work they did with rick rubin and is one of the main reasons why as rolling stone put it in one of their articles about this you've probably never heard the beastie boys release rock hard any takers nope okay we have a clip nope, nope. nope. we're gone nope. rock hard now Rick Rubin, this is back in a time, ladies and gentlemen, before digital music, where you were, as a DJ, defined by your record collection. It's what you had in your arsenal. Rubin had a lot of Zeppelin, Stones, Black Sabbath, and ACDC. They recorded a first album for Def Jam called Rock Hard in 1985. Rubin used a lot of these classic rock riffs and things, and one of them that was sampled heavily was ACDC's Back in Black. Needless to say, ACDC's lawyers found out about this and shut the whole thing down completely. So the album was actually shelved. Maybe there are some copies that snuck out. I don't know. But to this day, Rock Hard is really a, a lost album in the Beastie Aww. Boys canon. And it's important to note that Ruben... Come on, Angus. Yeah, I know. Well, it's funny because the Beastie Boys actually approached him years later after they had gained some notoriety and he still shut them down. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so he was just not having it in any way, shape, or form. So Ruben is largely credited with sort of this rock, rap kind of merger that was happening. But as the whole point of my series is, the center is still Adam Yauch. And he really provided his own ingenuity in the studio in not only composing the song. It, you, know, I'm, uh, you know, now that we're, you're, you're kind of talking about this, yeah. you know, there, you, there's a, a lot of similarity of sound of all the early Def Jam stuff because what Run DMC on Def Jam? They sure were yeah. early, and and you think about the big, you know, it's tricky and walk this way and stuff. It's it's very now, now that I'm sitting here and thinking about it, it's actually pretty similar. The the overall sound, I mean, it's a harder 
a lot of it was a harder edged rock sound. Oh, absolutely. Instead it, of being sort of sort of more dance music like a lot of early rap was. Right. And again, remember, this is a time where rap was largely uncategorized. There was no hip hop. There was no gangster rap. There was no R&B. It was kind of lumped in rap. And and also that to the extent that people use samples, because they did, it was much more primitive the way they did it. Um, now, it, it, it takes a quantum leap by the time their second album comes out, obviously. Oh, yeah. But the if you just think about the a lot of the early samples, just like I said with in, in the first episode. Yeah, Rapper's Delight is a classic. It's considered one of the first, it was, I think, the first rap song to hit the Billboard chart or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's basically the Sugar Hill Gang rapping over uh, a Sheik song. Yes, it is. But it's not cleverly pulling a little drum beat here and a little bass line there and a little sound effect here and the... It, it's like no, they just they just found like an instrumental version of Good Times and just started. <laughs> yeah, and, and you'll actually see that as the Beastie Boys go through their development into that second album, and and Yelp mm-hmm. was a big part of that. Now, one of the things he was known for was being sort of a like he was a road crew, if you remember correctly. Right. Uh, he was known for being a bit of a studio genius with unconventional things and the old uh, necessity is the mother of invention. So Ad Rock put it best when he would describe Yauk's work in the studio as, I heard you could pull a rabbit out of a hat, so here's an elephant. Now, I'm going to jump into a song early on this one. I promise that once I tell you what I'm about to tell you, you will never hear this song the same way again. Okay. I promise you. So during one of these recordings, which I will share with you in a moment, Yauk suggested they actually play the drum track in reverse. So they asked him how he would do this, and Yauk explained the whole process of running the tape and looping, basically tape looping, which was still sort of in its infancy at this point. Remember that at this point, there is no YouTube. There is no Google. So when they asked Yauk how he knew how to do it, he claimed that he listened to the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, and Jimi Hendrix, and he took what he knew of how tape worked and applied it to get the sound. So he was thinking in a completely different direction. So he took what he knew from those that's, artists. That's like almost on the pet sounds verge. It, it really is. Yeah, that level. That level of innovation. It is. And we're going on to an early song on this one. You all know it. It was released as a single in 1985. It was re-released in 1986 on License to Ill. And this is, of course, the rap standard, Paul Revere. Now, here's a little story I got to tell about three bad brothers you know so well. It started way back in history with that rap and me. My team. Been had a little horsey named Paul Revere. Just me and my horsey and a quart of beer. Riding across the land, kicking up sand. Sheriff splashes on my tail because I'm in demand. One lonely BCIP. All by myself without nobody. The sun is beating down on my baseball hat. The air is getting hot. The beer is getting flat. Looking for a girl. I ran into a guy. His name is MCA. I said, howdy. He said, hi. 
That is so much better <laughs> than literally anything that we listened to last week. It just wasn't your type that of music. Was, yeah. That was refreshing. Well, well, you know, like last week we were listening to, you know, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about because, you know, we, we heard some all-timers. Like, uh, I mean, I think we all know where we were the first time we heard Cookie Puss. Yeah, I was I was right here on this couch. I was going to say, sitting, sitting here grimacing. <laughs> Look, if, if that's not your top five of Beastie Boy songs, I don't know what to tell you guys. Yeah. So, again, that drum track, now it's the only thing you can hear, I promise you. Yep. Never change. No, I I, I can actually hear this cat over okay. here. That's and, fair. He, he makes some noise. And, uh, so it's time for when it comes to that song, two fun facts. Fun fact! Fun fact number one, the lyrics were actually inspired by Daryl from Run DMC. Huh. Okay. He was hanging out with them outside the studio. They were actually really good friends with Run DMC. I don't know if you knew this. They actually will tour with them on the Raising Hell tour. But he actually was talking to the guys. He just goes, here's a little story we got to tell and launched into a song. So that became the basis for the lyrics. And if you remember that fateful trip by Ad Rock to get a guitar where he actually got a T-808 Roland uh, sound machine. Mm-hmm. Right. That provided the other sounds you hear on Paul Revere. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you have him sort of, again playing some uh, engineering games there, getting some new sounds and whatnot. Now, if you're new listening to the Beastie Boys, I have some pointers for you, because a lot of people actually confuse two of the members. Not Adam Yao, because his voice is very distinct. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no mistaking who he is. But a lot of people sort of mix up Mike D and Ad Rock. They have kind of a a nasally quality, Mm -hmm. you know? Very, Uh, yeah. Here's a a few pointers as we go forward here. Uh, As you listen to their work, Ad Rock, you'll notice, is always a little bit ahead of the beat. He's slightly fast. Now, MCA is always behind the beat. He's actually a little bit of a, a lagging kind of rhythmic guy. Whereas Mike D is, you can set your watch to him. He's on the beat every single 
time. So wait, are you dragging or are you rushing? Exactly. <laughs> are you dragging or are you rushing? Thank you, J.K. Simmons. So you know the difference. My brother has no idea what we're yes. talking about. Yeah, I've, I've, I've completely it's lost. It's a movie called Whiplash, but you would actually, I actually think T would really like Whiplash. It is a good movie. It's excellent. It, I, you know what? I'm going to bring Whiplash for us for Christmas. Because it's, it's a very good film. It is. Are there horses? No, no but there is a uh, there's it's drumming <clears throat> and uh it's about a drummer and is there naked no 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 no, no. Uh, i am good no <laughs> no no nudity but no imagine horses. it's kind of like tombstone but with drummers interesting okay <laughs> <laughs> another quick way to distinguish the boys is usually ad rock is talking about food so if you hear that it's probably adam horowitz Paul Revere in the new style were some of these recordings that came out and would later appear, as I mentioned, on License to Ill. Pretty soon, the Beastie Boys would get their call for a tour and not quite what you'd expect. Adam Yauk remembers the day. Basically, they were hanging out and he says, Russell Simmons, the co-founder of Def Jam, walks in and says, hey guys, guess what? Madonna's manager called. Do you want to go on tour with her? What? Okay. so weird. I, I so, know. I'm, <laughs> I've heard this and it's so weird to me. So first of all, Pairing those two up is is kind of hilarious in a lot of ways. And I would pay to see the crowds switching out. That's like when they putting change. Chance the Rapper with John Denver. Like, well, you just probably shouldn't do it. One of the best parts is how this happened. So it's not as simple as Simmons made it out to be. It's not It's not Jimi Hendrix opening, opening for the Monkees Bazaar, but it's 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 getting close. It's but up even, there. Even Weird. then, that's closer than the Beastie Boys and madonna especially at this point and, the, and we're we're talking this is 85 this is 85 yeah 1985 so this is she's she's a fireball right now she, she's i mean she's she has broken out now she's not quite to where she's getting here very soon but she's an enormous star at this okay. point yeah and, and she's not doing rap no 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 no, no she's doing or anything that sounds anything like what the beastie boys are doing she's doing lucky star <laughs> pretty like, much that's... and holiday i think we're a little bit past lucky star we're, we're probably into like true blue and i think we're probably past lucky star because that was an early one but worth the tour is the like a virgin tour oh, that... okay all right well there you go mark on the timeline here so they were originally still, still not rap <laughs> no not at all i just thought about it she's still not doing rap <laughs> not even close so Ruben and Simmons, yes, were approached by Madonna's management for a tour opener. And their first choice was actually the Fat Boys. Oh. Those guys? <laughs> yeah. The Fat Boys. Yeah, the disorderlies. I, okay. The Fat Boys actually, <laughs> they helped me with time management. Ooh, this I got to hear. Because ever since, I can't even remember if it was like, Please, if you guys know where I can find a clip of this, uh, I would really appreciate it. You can email us. I'll give that our social stuff in a little bit, but or at the end of the episode. But um, heavy, like the Fat Boys did a song called Working Backwards. Oh, that's right. And it was on like Square One or the kid shows. One of the kid yeah. shows like that, that, that we watched. They had this song, Working Backwards, but it was uh, working backwards, forwards yes. to solve a problem, working backwards. So you would know when you had to start getting ready so you knew when you had to leave to be somewhere. Yes. So Fat Boys were actually choice one. Uh, Russell Simmons told them that the Fat Boys weren't available, even though he didn't actually represent them. So that was kind of weird. 
in, in its place, though, Simmons said, we can give you Run DMC. But Madonna's management said they were too expensive. So the next act was the Beastie Boys. They were free and they were cheap. So they contracted the Beastie Boys to be Madonna's opening act. Oh, wow. For $500 a week, which amounts to about 1200 today for the three of them. 500 a week. What is this? So, yeah, oh, so I was going to say like 160 some odd dollars a piece a week. Yeah, the, the fine yeah. version of artists getting screwed in their first deal. So with that, April 1985, the boys head out with Madonna out of New York. It's not what the audience expected, as we've pointed out. So you have these three white boys jump up on stage. They start rapping. They're making lewd gestures toward the audience. And then behind them is, of course, their DJ, Rick Rubin. So Madonna was quoted as saying this, and I'm going to use the all the words included because I think it adds weight to the, the commentary. She said that they were very bad boys. They said fuck all the time on stage. The audience always booed them, and they always told everyone to fuck off. I just loved them for that. I couldn't understand why everyone hated them. I thought they were so adorable. <laughs> That's great. Whereas Ad Rock said, it's not like any of us knew Madonna that much, but we all used to hang out at the Danceteria Club. Remember, she was from New York. Right. We all sort of knew each other. I don't know why she thought it would be a good idea to open for her on tour. I thought it was a terrible idea, but it was great for her because we were so awful that by the time she came on stage, the audience had to be happy. <laughs> and uh, TJ, you had mentioned this. It was um, <clears throat> rumored that um, Ad Rock had an encounter with Madonna on tour oh okay yep so um i mean let's be honest here so either ad rock is at the ripe old age of 20 mind you is just incredibly smooth or maybe tj can back me up here if it's 1985 and madonna comes on to you you're you're done yeah i would that's, say so that's it yeah <laughs> you got nothing i think that goes for both sides of the aisle yes Gosh, and, how, and how special he must feel to know that he's among the only <laughs> yep Yep, yeah. you <laughs> tonight? <laughs> Madonna's Congress. The 1986 Broncos. <laughs> Why the Broncos? Oh goodness gracious! At least make it a home team like the Giants. <sighs> so, uh, needless to say, the sure bucked convention for Madonna fans, but it did get the Beastie Boys more notoriety. They were becoming a little more mainstream. I'm honestly going to say that this is probably a genius move. And okay. can I tell you why? Please. Because think about who who is Madonna's target audience? Young kids. Well, teenagers. Females. Young women. Young girls, yeah. So who's going to take these, you know, girls to go see Madonna? Boyfriends? Okay. Husbands? Could possibly, or, or boyfriends, yeah. Yeah. So why not? give them the Beastie Boys because that's something that the guys can enjoy and yeah. something that the girls can enjoy. I mean, like, I honestly... Possibly, I, yeah. Well, of course, you also had... You, you, have to, you have to remember, at this point, you had, like, a lot of, like, Madonna impersonators and stuff. They would dress up like her and come to the shows and stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, I think this is the point where she was about to just explode and become just... Yeah, she was already really big and it was... She was about to be, like, the, the biggest thing that there was. Oh, yeah. so. And then she became the queen of pop, right? Yeah. <laughs> There you go. So, and I think you're right, LD, and it goes back to something I mentioned in our last episode. You can call Rick Rubin a lot of things, but stupid isn't one of them. He was not a dumb man. Uh, the Beastie Boys would actually spend more time as an opening act. As I mentioned, run DMC. They did the Raising Hell tour. They actually opened for one of their favorite bands, the Bad Brains. Oh, wow. So they got to tour with them for a little bit. 
And all this time, they are using samples, mind you. Their biggest was Led Zeppelin. If any of you have heard the album that we're about to get to, so LD, you're, you're in luck here. Yay. You'll remember there are drum beats from When the Levee Breaks. There's guitars yep. from The Ocean. Um, mm -hmm. Sample The Clash. And, and my favorite in one of the final tracks on the album, they actually sample Mr. Ed. Yeah. The show. Yes. Yep. Oh, wow. Yes, they do. So bear in mind the famous Mr. Ed. The famous Mr. Ed. Okay. So bear in mind the Beastie Boys are recording and touring before this album comes out, and it all comes to a head on November fifteenth, nineteen eighty-six, the day the Village Voice declared three jerks created a masterpiece. <laughs> and that is, of course, I didn't know that we were just ahead of our time. Yep. <laughs> I know. Hey, Thank you, Village Voice. Thanks, Village Voice, for noting rock and roll. Wow. That's kind of the template that we followed. I'm flattered, yeah. <laughs> right in the footsteps of greatness. There you go. License to Ill, ladies and gentlemen, which I believe LD is your favorite album or it, among your favorites. It is among my favorite mm -hmm. albums. Uh, to, to the Five Burrows is probably, we'll get into this. Oh yeah, we will. That'll be our one of our final discussions after we've reviewed most of their catalog. Now bear in mind at this time, Yauk is the elder statesman of the Beastie Boys. He is 22 years old. Diamond is 21 and Ad-Rock is 20. Aww. And they're touring the world with Madonna, which is pretty crazy. Which is interesting because the License to Ill album came out five months after the release of Criminal Tango, which was the 12th studio album for Manfred Mann's Earth Band. Ladies there it is, ladies and gentlemen. The federally mandated Manfred Mann's Earth Band reference to the podcast has been satisfied. Oh, thank you. Well done. Well yes, done. I do what well I can. Done. So this album had a lot surrounding it. I think one of the most obvious is the number of the flight on the plane. You all know it's 3MTA3, which if you put in the mirror. Eat me. Says, Eat me. Um, the working title was a tad more vulgar than what they went with. Uh, I won't say the word because it's a word I do not like using. But the original title that they were going to use was don't be a F word for a British cigarette. Right. Right. Yes. Thank heavens, good taste prevailed, and they went with License to Ill. I wonder if, uh, was that a suggestion from, from Rick Rubin? I think it came from Rubin and Simpson. Because I've, yeah. I've heard several other, not several, but a couple, the Black Crows being one of them, mm. talk about him making suggestions for changing of, of the band name or changing album title names to things that were very outlandish, shocking, offensive, whatever. It may be... Young, immature Rick thought that was a way to get attention, and any attention is good attention when nobody's heard of you or whatever. But I, like I've, I've I've actually heard of things like that before. Yeah, quite possibly, and I don't know if that was where Simmons was almost a foil to that. You know, he was kind of trying to reel him in. So, uh, needless to say, the album was not called that. It was called Licensed Ill. And as you pointed out, TJ, this was really not the first rap rock combination. That honor still goes to Run DMC with Aerosmith's Walk This Way. But this album is undeniably just a killer album. I mean, She's Crafty, The New Style, Rhyming and Stealing, Girls, I believe is one LD you like. And um, I would argue probably the definitive party anthem of all time, no? Yes. It's well, uh, one, certainly one of, yes. Certainly one of. And this, this album really changed music forever. It in many ways brought this sort of hip hop rap into more of the mainstream consciousness. And I actually wonder, I wonder if using so much guitar and using so many rock riffs and borrowing from Zeppelin and a lot of popular rock bands made it more palatable to a bigger audience right off the bat. 
quite because it sounds like stuff that the average record buyer then knew and liked. Sure. And if you'd come right, if you'd jump right at people with, you know, gangster rap right off the jump, right off the jump. Eh, well, that's probably this, this, I wonder if this just, that was a way to make it. I mean, I'm sure that's what they, what they wanted to do, but I wonder if the reason it was accepted and was so popular, whereas a lot of rap at the time wasn't, is because it was a little more palatable in that way. I think you may be onto something and they sort of bridged that gap, which I'm actually going to show us with a song that TJ, I know you mentioned the song. It's one of my favorites off this album too. And the guitar track is an original is not a sample. This one comes to you from 1986's Licensed Ill. We're doing No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Yeah!
see it, this is where they start getting amazing. <laughs> They're yeah. so good. That's yeah. that is the sound of my youth. That's great. Fair. And uh, another another fun fact. Fun fact. Fun fact. Uh, that guitar lick is an original guitar lick. It is not a sample. TJ, any wagers on who that might be? I think I know this, but I can't. I I, I can't say that I that, that I know for sure though. Okay, LD Energy. I feel I feel like I should. I haven't looked. What is uh, that guitar? Was compliments of Carrie King of Slayer. Oh. Ah. Okay. Now Ruben actually produced their album, and, he, and he's actually featured in the video, isn't he? Yes, he is. Okay, yeah. all right, yeah. Because Ruben produced the Rain and Blood album, so he had Kerry King do the guitar work. Uh, King went on to say that after he heard the final product, he, quote, didn't understand the song. So, okay. Yeah. Anyway. Well, but, but again, rap is still very new, and if you're a dude from Slayer, you've probably never listened to any of it. So, exactly. yeah. yeah, I can kind of understand where you're like, what the, the hell are they doing? What is this? Yeah. So I hate to interrupt, but we do need to pay a couple bills. So hold tight. We'll be right back. And we're back. All right, let's jump back into Adam Yauk. That aside, the album was dynamite. It sold over 10 million copies in the U.S. alone. Wow. It went diamond very quickly. And it was the first rap LP to top the Billboard charts. And I bought one. It hit number one, yep. Mom, first rap Mom was not happy. Mother was not happy. I can imagine. When uh, Kate Schellenbach first heard the album, she said, I pushed play, I didn't know what to expect, and I was prepared to hate it. We listened to it over and over and thought it was hysterical. However offensive, it was lyrically sonic and brilliant. I was proud of my boys, but sad not to be with them. Uh, may I call an Omaha in the... the, 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 the you're, the you're the quarterback. Yep. I and as we record this, the large game is uh, about 24 hours away. <laughs> yes, the it big is. game. Uh, I am going to call this in the spirit of misogyny. Okay. That is the early Kate BC Boys years. Not not from them, because uh, you said that they had never sexualized her. Nope. They never objectified her, nope. which is fantastic to hear. And the other ladies, or any of the, or any of the girls in their circle she said i think yeah. will, will said episode one so yes. that makes this song even a little bit more shocking but but it's so simple and stupid and catchy but i feel like we need to hear girls would you like to hear it i would like to hear it let's do it play me some girls here we go She'll say, hey, me 
me. misogynistic it is just the worst and it's great (laughs) i love it i love and i am a massive feminist and uh yeah i still love and it's so stupid and it's just like do 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 and that is it it is like a casio keyboard It's like, it's close to the lap dance is so much better when the stripper is crying in its simplicity, but uh, yeah, it's, I, it's so darn catchy and I love it. And I think it plays to what the Beastie Boys are going for here, which is really high satire if you think about it. It's so bombastic that it's a joke and yet it sort of becomes this thing that gets out of hand as we're going to see. There's a joke becomes something crazier. So the financial success of this album is just undeniable. And Ruben was credited as saying, the rap audience is changing, which TJ, you alluded to this earlier. It was predominantly in the inner city. We, meaning the Beastie Boys, brought rap to the suburbs. So this was kind of happening with the Beastie Boys, but I think it was also with Run DMC. Run DMC did too, yeah. A lot of acts that were coming up at this time. But also this is really the launch of the rap rack rock rap hybrid which is things like you know rage against the machine biohazard all these bands that kind of came out of this really can trace back to the beast well, well one of the first ones to take it a rock band to me and there may I, I may be missing some somebody but the first rock band to me who brought sort of a rap rock mashup was probably faith no more agreed yeah faith no more on, you- on the real thing which i think came out in 89 Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they were on the tail end of that Beastie. We had there were rap there were rap groups, Run DMC and the Beastie Boys, who kind of brought they were they were rappers and brought rock into the mix. Mm-hmm. To me, Faith No More was probably the first man I, that I remember that br- were rock, a rock band that brought rap into the mix somehow. Because a lot of Mike Patton's delivery on that album is it's a rap delivery, no mm-hmm. question. And Rage Against the Machine is still about ten years away, I think at least. Right. So needless to say, there's a bit of a revolution going on here, and I have to credit a YouTube channel here, so I'm going to give a shout out to a YouTube channel. While doing my research, I was kind of concocting this theory, and uh, this YouTube channel called Hip Hop DX came across. I came across them, and it was that moment of, you know, in PCU where the guy's watching TV, and he's like, this is my thesis. Yes. That's exactly what this was for me, so shout out to Hip Hop DX. He does a great piece on declaring the Beastie Boys, and this are, these are his words, the greatest rap group of all time. And I think you should check out this Hip Hop DX channel because it really plays to this point about what qualifies their success. I'm a, I prefer Schooly D. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so my theory was that it's easy to look back at the Beastie Boys and say, oh, of course they were successful. They were having, they were rapping on stage, people liked it, they made an album, blah, blah, blah. But 
keep this in mind. The Beastie Boys were a punk band. Rap, unfortunately, had no footing in popular music at that time. The Beastie Boys started opening for Madonna, okay? They also opened for Run DMC. Think about those two audiences. You have, as you pointed and, out. And, and did so before their first, their, before License Deal ca- even came out. Exactly. Is... They released an album, yeah. So think about this. You have a bunch of young suburbanites seeing Madonna and a very heavy inner city crowd seeing Run DMC. The Madonna crowd didn't want anything to do with the Beastie Boys. And the Run DMC crowd, I mean, let's be honest, it's three privileged white boys getting up on stage rapping. The perception is not the best. So my point is the Beastie Boys were really on the edge. This whole thing could have blown up at any moment, at any moment. And they could have just fallen off the map. And a lot of people did see them as a novelty. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we're going to get into that, which includes Bismarcky, as you had mentioned. I think part of it comes from the way writer John Parlis put it in his New York Times piece about the boys. He actually said, they weren't street kids or ghetto survivors. They were Jewish bohemians and they owned it. So I think it's important to note that the Beastie Boys were genuine. They were never trying to be something they weren't. They were always authentic on some level. And Mike D was saying, you know, hip hop is the music that speaks about what's going on. And I think that plays a lot to NWA. And yeah. easy, easy, public enemy. We're actually going to get to them too. But you'll think about what the Beastie Boys wrote about. They never wrote about things that they didn't experience. It was all from a place of truth, which is the old, you know, Ralph Waldo, Ralph Waldo Emerson quote, to know what is true for you and your heart is true for all. That is genius. And we laugh because it's silly, but then we really come to the truth that, okay, we recognize something in this. It's genuine. And the Beastie Boys in turn won a lot of people over because they were genuine. And this is something that, again, Hip Hop DX flushes out a lot in, in his video. And it was just this moment of, oh my God, that's what I think. And here it is. I have proof. Someone else thinks this thought. So it was really innovative for me. In fact, while touring with Public Enemy, there's a two side to this coin here. Yao had said, hip hop, that is, is the music we liked a lot and got into. Chuck D and Public Enemy have inspired us a lot. They changed the face of hip hop. On the other side, Flava Flav said, yeah. when the Beastie Boys say that we were influential to them, we were always thankful. They were influential to us. Oh, wow. So you have sort of this two-way, you know. Mutual admiration society for starters, it sounds like. What a, uh, that's almost as odd a pairing as Madonna <laughs> and the Beastie Boys to me. Oh, yes. And it's going to get even stranger. Because, I mean, you have Public Enemy who was very... Uh, at, from the jump, very mm-hmm. political, absolutely, very yeah. aggressive, very, um, and and some of their early stuff, I really like it. it that it's mm-hmm. edgy. They were using samples in a way that nobody else was. The delivery <laughs> from Chuck D was so assertive, and I, but it's just it's just a weird. They're very different. I mean, you think like, oh well, yeah, they're both rap groups. It's like, yeah, but not really. <laughs> they really have very little in common. That's so. That's kind of that's. A, that's as odd a pairing as Beastie Boys with Madonna to me. It really is. And then you see them also thanking the Beastie Boys for helping. Right. Them. At the same time, you have Run DMC saying the same thing. And the it's all sort of, again, one hand washing the other. You know, it's a circle of, all I can describe it as collaboration. Everyone was sort of moving this whole thing together, you know? Uh, so that's all the good stuff that came out of this tour. So now let's talk about the uh, the inappropriate stuff. <laughs> <laughs> now, first off, as you pointed out, uh, TJ, you mentioned uh, Biz Marquis. Well, needless to say, 
Vince Marquis was not the biggest fan of the Beastie Boys when they first came on the scene. Really? In fact, he and Scott LaRock, who he was working with at the time, when asked about the Beastie Boys, here's their response. This is a direct quote. They're a bunch of bullshit. They're making a mockery of rap. It took me, this is Biz Marquis saying, years to get up there. I've been rocking parties since 78. They basically called him out. They said they have no credibility. They have no business doing this. Wow. There were oftentimes when the Beastie Boys would be on stage and would be all but booed off by their audience. Yeah. Speaking they're, of- a, they're a one-trick pony, said Biz Marquis. Oh, and just wait, because he does say that. I'm out. I love Biz Marquis, but now come look, on. Look, look, look. They're, not- they're, not, uh, they're not legit, man. You will not besmirch the good name of Biz Marquis, who <laughs> went on to do such fantastic things as being the beatboxing alien in Men in Black 2. Okay? Yeah, he did raps about taking about taking big nasty slams and picking boogers. So, I mean, I don't know what... Oh, or, what, what <laughs> how could you ever speak a negative word? <laughs> so, we go back to your episodes, TJ, about Van Halen. If Alex Van Halen was ranting and raving about penises coming out of the wall, he may... Uh-huh into a Beastie Boy concert. One of their set pieces was a giant 20-foot inflatable hydraulic penis. Wow. Hydraulics even. Yep. Right. It would go up and down during the show. <laughs> like one of those wavy, like No, like uh, erect and down and up and down. Yeah. It would kind okay. of... Yeah. Now, that's a... Isn't that kind of an old Zappa? Is, <sighs> in, is Frank not the first to have used a, a giant fake penis on stage? I don't know who's used... Fel- <laughs> And, I, and and feel free to edit this out later if you want to. Did he not equip it with some kind of whipped cream dispenser? Oh, that oh, I don't know. Gross. I don't know. The Beastie Boys. Didn't... Look, somebody can look that up, but I don't. Th- I don't think I'm creating that in my head. <sighs> well, all I can tell you is that, <laughs> the Beastie Boys had a giant, twenty foot inflatable penis going up and down on stage. <clears throat> but was it circumcised? Uh, I have to check the footage to be sure. Do we have a clip? Nope. Nope. Clip. That's funny. Guess uh-huh. the clip. <laughs> they also hired strippers who would dance on stage with the boys. The audience, the band, and that stage were covered with beer. The boys would drink constantly throughout the show, spraying beer on themselves, the crowd, the stage. Uh, even Flavor Flav from Public Enemy recalls having, quote, beer fights backstage with the boys. Ad Rock would actually take one, shake it up, put it on his crotch, and gyrate towards the audience. Oh, dear. Now, the Beastie Boys were not as lucky as Led Zeppelin. I think you said, TJ, they had a, a video of goings-on backstage that was sort of subdued. Well, now, I was going to say, now, in our previous series, very creepily, <laughs> Van Halen's first manager had lots of 8 millimeter video of them, uh, you know, David Lee Roth being Dave. Yes. Um, with, with, with lots of young ladies. There are, there are some clips that, needless to say, have wound up on YouTube. Uh, some of them are worse than others. In uh, the stuff that you don't see is apparently material that would rival the Led Zeppelin Hammer of the Gods video. Okay, now I know what you're talking about. We have the the infamous Mud Shark video, which apparently exists somewhere. <laughs> and you, you, everybody can go back and listen to our John Bonham episode if you, uh, I'm not going to recount the whole thing, but uh, it involves a Mud Shark and maybe peanut butter and mm-hmm. a naked chick <laughs> and some cocaine. <laughs> Well, hey, let your mind wander. There was a very prominent clip of Adam Yauch, who a young female fan asks him to sign her stomach. So he takes a Sharpie, he writes M, C, A, and the A trails low and low, and pretty soon the pen is out of his hands. His hand keeps going lower, and you can kind of do the math on what happens next. 
Yep. Hey yo. Yep. No, that's not a hey yo. That's 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 no, no, yeah. that's non-consensual. Uh, their tour bus was described, and this is what the press coined, not me, as an orgy on wheels. Okay. Uh, Mike D was saying sometimes we fucked shit up. We destroyed parties and blew up hotel rooms, and it's not anything we felt we need to do. The main thing was about making music. However. It didn't really look that way. Yauk would often set up in his hotel room as a major league pitcher and take half drunk beers and pitch them into the next room, breaking things and shattering mirrors and doing all this stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. And the boys would cheer him on and, and try to chime in and create some rather comical hijinks. There is a slight break from this debauchery. However, while they are touring in New Orleans, the Beastie Boys actually run into their old friend and producer, David Parsons. As you remember, Dave was kind of working through his gender identity. He had actually right. taken up work as a traveling Charlie Chaplin impersonator. Oh, that, yeah. is, that is yeah. awesome. So he's turned, There's a huge market for that. He's touring the world as a Chaplin impersonator, and Yauk actually makes a point to get in touch with him and stay in touch with him because, as he put it, the Beastie Boys may not have been because he, as we know, rescued those recordings. He, he saved, I was going to say, he saved the master tape of their some of their early stuff, yeah. Now, all this outlandish behavior finally comes to a head when the boys get to the UK. So this is an international tour, mind you. Before they even get there, they're being slammed by the British press. They're already saying that they're violent, their lyrics are inappropriate. On May 30th, 1987, the Royal Court Theatre, Liverpool, England. The Beastie Boys are on stage for a total of 12 minutes before the crowd rushes them and a riot breaks out. During this riot, Horowitz is actually arrested by the Liverpool police for attacking a fan with a beer can. Aww. He is. Well, I'm sorry, but a, a, a crowd rushes the stage. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I mean, at that point, they're kind of in danger. So whatever you have to do to protect yourself, I mean. Whatever the reason, he's carted off to jail for the weekend. He spends the weekend in a Liverpool jail. Those when, Liverpudlians, man. Now, now it's important to, to note this, though. When this all goes down, Yauk actually tries to turn himself in for the crime. We still don't know if Yauk actually threw the can or if he was just covering for Horowitz, but he tried to take the rap for it. Aww. So, again, we don't know the real story, but uh, Horowitz is released, the Beastie Boys go on, and in one of my favorite press statements of all time, I think this comes from The Tube in London, they call the Beastie Boys a, quote, shock outrage and an affront to moral decency i feel like that's a that's great amazing. documentary name god that's great you can't buy that publicity that good so by this time the boys are wrapping up their tour and they're quite frankly burned out they get home to find that they're only being confronted by their management team saying you owe us another album they're also being told by rick rubin that they got to kick mike d out of the band uh, uh, no. So uh, the boys draw a hard line at this point. They basically say, no, you already made us do that with Kate. We're not doing it again. And as far as this album goes, well, we don't know if this is what we want to do. The boys were really questioning this joke on stage that's really gotten out of hand. They would have kids coming up to them and say, I want to smoke dust. And they'd say, well, where did you hear that? And they'd say, well, your song. And so this really made them go, wait a minute, you know, we, we probably have to examine this. And Yauk actually reflected saying, we're like a family that shared an inside joke, except now, with the success we had, that joke was public property. And according to Mike D, Def Jam just wanted, quote, more of the same. So Yauk had an important revelation at this time. He realized that what he's doing is something people are paying attention to. And he has a platform that he can really reach the rest of the world. So his revelation is, holy crap, I got to do better. 
This leads to Def Jam and the Beastie Boys parting ways. Now, Russell Simmons claims that the band owed them an album, and by not producing one, they basically forfeited their contract. What's unclear is whether the Beastie Boys did this willingly or couldn't do it because of their touring schedule. So that's left in question. It does, however, leave one thing hanging, and that is the royalties. In 1988, the boys parted ways with Def Jam. Def Jam withheld $2 million in royalties, saying they were in breach of contract. Doing the math, that's four and a half million today. Yep. This would eventually lead to a lawsuit. Ruben and Simmons would actually devolve into some infighting. And Def Jam, as we know it, would sort of fracture. In fact, Ruben would go out to Los Angeles and charter his own version called Deaf America, which I think continues to this day. Years later, Ruben actually would go back on this split. And he said, due to some unpleasantness in the business, we aren't friends anymore, which is too bad because I really miss them. Yauk was actually in touch with Kate Schellenbach at this time, and he was saying he was very frustrated where the band was going. All he wanted to do was make music. He didn't like what Rick was doing. In fact, years later, Yauk actually came out and said that at that time, he actually quit the band. He just didn't tell anybody. Yeah. So I don't know what that actually means, but he decided he had had enough. So the boys decide it's time to reboot. (laughs) Little did you know I divorced you. Yeah, pretty much. I left you. You just didn't hear. Yes. So the Beastie Boys divorced themselves from Def Jam, both, you know, contractually and physically, they moved to Los Angeles. Yauk and Diamond actually start uh, moving in on the music scene in LA. They start trying out different things. Horowitz tries his hand at acting. He actually lands a film in Lost Angels, which premiered in 1989 with Donald Sutherland. Um, I love Donald Sutherland. That's awesome. And this is the time, I think, TJ, you mentioned this. He started dating Molly Ringwald. Who we just saw on Riverdale. Yes, she did. Also, I would like to say (laughs) to the world that I've got my husband watching Riverdale. (laughs) I'm not proud of it. I just can't look away. All this Hollywood hobnobbing does pay off for the group because Horowitz actually meets two people you probably know. John King and Matt Simpson. They have a monk here. The Dust Brothers. Yep. So they start sort of sharing club instrumentals. The Dust Brothers put together a few bass tracks and the Beastie Boys started kind of adding to it. Yauk actually describes this experience. They put together some beats, bass lines and guitar lines, all these looped together. And they were quite surprised when we wanted to rhyme on it because they were saying it was too dense. Needless to say, Yauk didn't back down from this. He said that he wasn't afraid of the complexity. Instead, he wanted to add lyrics and wanted to add to what was already there. This led to an experimental track that was originally called Full Clout. It was taken from sort of a club variation of samplings, including seven different artists. Some of them include James Brown, Africa Bombada, Rose Royce, and Thin Lizzy. Some of them were sped up, some of them were slowed down. The Beastie Boys actually added lyrics over this, and included one of my favorite pieces of unconventional sampling, the recording of a bong hit. Wow. Which is allegedly the first time this was done. Cypress Hill would do it later, but the Beastie Boys actually Thank did it you. first. I was trying to remember mm-hmm. who had done it. And this song that I'm about to play you includes my favorite unconventional sample because it actually comes from a delivery man. This is just a guy who showed up and they recorded him saying the line, is your name Michael Diamond? And it made the album. So as I mentioned earlier, the song had a working title, and that was Full Clout. You will know it better from the actually second track on Paul's Boutique, and that is Shake Your Rump. No, I 
Diamond. No, mine's Clavin. From downtown Manhattan. The village. My style's wild, and you know that it's still it. This no bag stepping, and you're doing the ball. Say, you're a robot. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. All so right. That line of "Is your name Michael Diamond?" was a delivery man who was actually dropping off an advance check to the boys from Capitol Records. Oh wow! Yep. Mm-hmm. Nice. So you can already hear a totally different sound coming out of these guys at this point. It's actually becoming yeah. more and more mature. Mm-hmm. The sampling is getting much tighter, and their lyrics are becoming which, more and more cohesive. Which is which is why when it came out, I thought this album sucked. <laughs> you you wouldn't be alone. You are not alone. I, 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 now I've I've come to appreciate it mm-hmm. considerably more. But I remember waiting on the debut video from it mm-hmm. on MTV, and they showed it, and I just kind of sat there like, oh, that was bad. I think that was Hey Ladies, wasn't it? It was, but that, but you also have to remember now. I'm four, at the time, I was fourteen years old. Mm-hmm. I don't have mature musical ears. I don't understand music really. I wanted Fight for Your Right to Party Part Two. I wanted No Sleep Till <laughs> Pick Another City in New York. No, you, like, you, you, yes. wanted, you wanted what Def Jam wanted. No sleep, no sleep till Staten Island or something. <laughs> so, but when this came out, and I, 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 I was excited oh, about sure. it, and and when I heard it, I thought it was awful. I really <laughs> did. Because again, I'm 14 years old. You want to hear them just do more of what they did—the outlandish stuff and the party rock sound and all that kind of, of, of thing. And, and that's what the boys were trying to get away from. And it's interesting right. because these tracks caught the ear of a Capitol Records executive, Dave Berman. Now, bear in mind, Def Jam has left them, so they're open right now. Berman actually signs them to a three million dollar deal, two albums, three million dollars. 
he actually gives an address. I'm glad you brought this up, TJ, because it ties into what we're going to get into here. He goes on the, the roof of the Capitol Records building. You know that Capitol Records Yes. And he says to everybody, you know, if you thought you knew the Beastie Boys, think again. This is going to be totally different. Unfortunately, Berman would be right, and it would cost him. Oh. The Beastie Boys record with Capitol took almost 18 months to make. According to Yauk, that was the first time someone had approached a hip-hop album like rock artists would approach an album. They actually recorded it in some very atypical locations, including Yauk's apartment in Koreatown. Mm. So some sort of unconventional places. And they were really going to make an album. So that's what Yauk was alluding to. And he said that he actually credited Public Enemy. He said, I don't think it was until Public Enemy that hip-hop really embraced an album type format that's cohesive from start to finish so this album was going to have the lyrics by the beastie boys it was going to include videos and yes a whole lot of samples so they actually approached an engineer named mario caldata jr which you know is mario c ring any bells mario c likes to keep it clean yep he joins them along with the dust brothers now these three were actually saying you know let's let's peel back the samples a bit guys but yauk said something completely different Michael Diamond actually said, I remember having a conversation with Yauk and he said, let's go completely over the top and sample everything. And here's one of my favorite Adam Yauk quotes. Let's make this the nail in the coffin for sampling. (laughs) So they were going to make a statement. They were not only away from Def Jam, but they were going to push the limits as far as they can go. Now, according to Matt Simpson of the Dust Brothers, this album, Paul's Boutique, had anywhere from 105 to 300 samples. He honestly doesn't remember. There's a, yeah. you can find on YouTube mm-hmm. where somebody purports to play every sample from Paul's Boutique. Even then they it made- It takes a very long time to watch. Yeah. And it's it's a lot. But if, if the people who created the album don't even know or remember, then I don't know, that's probably not accurate, but it's a lot. It's a lot. And at this point, there's not really any kind of legislation against sampling, correct? Especially a lot of the microscopic pieces that they were using. But we're very close, I think, and, and Will may get into this, of a, a fairly, what's considered a landmark lawsuit on sampling. Yeah, it actually starts to come out of this because there's one song they did called The, the Sounds of Science in which they sampled just the Beatles. There's about five Beatles samples alone. So if you want to talk about macro, that's really what that is. When you're sampling, you know, Sgt. Pepper, Revolution, When I'm 64, all in one song. And then you have the delivery guy, you know? So it's really all over the map. And when they asked about being concerned about this, Diamond actually said, what's cooler than being sued by the Beatles? So they Mm. were cavalier about it. Now, at the time, the Beatles legal team was contacting capital but nothing really came out of it and as many we and many of us know now the catalog by michael jackson who did not pursue any legal action right so whatever would have happened kind of got you know thrown out there now the store the the album is named for store named paul's boutique in fact one of the tracks is the actual outgoing message for the store (laughs) with the guy's voice and their real phone number which the boys included on their album. And there will be a rebuttal to this, but not until the next album. It's also noted that the cover photo, which is of the store, was actually taken by the infamous Nathaniel Hornblower. There's not a real uh-huh. 
Well, yes, we're going to get to that too. Uh, we're going to get to more on that later, but it is credited as Nathaniel Hornblower. So beyond these outrageous samples, you'll notice that the Beastie Boys lyrics were changing. I think LD, you pointed that out. Mm -hmm. This wasn't about, you know, chauvinistic behavior or violence or partying. They're talking about, you know, pop culture. They're talking about TV shows. They even referenced the Bible. I'm going to get to that one in a bit. They actually poked fun of the press because Michael Diamond saying, you know, I'm Mike D, I'm back from the dead. There were rumors that Mike D had died. What? So yeah, he was addressing that in song. And also they had songs that were just a straight up middle finger to their former manager. Is that how you know that you truly made it when you have death rumors? Yeah, exactly. Like like when when Weirdo Yankovic wants to parody your song and then someone thinks you're dead, like you've right. made it. I think you've made it, correct. And during all this, the Beastie Boys are still their charming selves. One of the songs was inspired by the boys sitting on the roof of the Mondrian Hotel, throwing eggs at people walking by. I mean, that's on brand. Yeah, pretty much. So I want you to listen to this next one because there are some samples you'll recognize and perhaps some lyrics you'll recognize. This one also comes from Paul's Boutique. This is Eggman. Zoom. 
that is like so complex and layered. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on there, definitely. So, so you picked out one of the samples, right, LD? Mm -hmm. It was Psycho. That's layered with the theme from Jaws. Yeah. Yep. And then um, Superfly. Curtis Mayfield, yep. Is in there, Curtis Mayfield. Yep. Sly and the Family Stone. It's a lot going on, but I'm surprised none of you recognize the lyrics. We're all dressed in black. We snuck up around the back. That's from A Grade on Mojo. Okay. In my <laughs> How could we, any of us forget A Grade on Mojo? Can I, can I just say, in our defense, I didn't understand a word of that song. A -grade on Mojo. In my defense, I went and got something. To, I think I went and got a beer while that, that crap was playing <laughs> in episode one. So the Beastie Boys used their own lyrics, basically. Ah, okay. So they sampled themselves. They sampled themselves. <laughs> a, a trend that will more, more more than once, if okay. I if I remember right, mm -hmm. on this album. And if you're hearing that song, they also sampled Cheech Marin. Yeah. So a lot going on there. After almost two years and one million dollars. That's right. The album cost a million dollars. Good lord. Including a quarter of a million dollars in licensing fees. So they did pay some licensing fees. It reached a mere number 14 on the Billboard charts. And as TJ, you pointed out, most people were disappointed by the album. As a result, Capitol Records cleaned house. According to Michael Diamond, almost everyone at Capitol got fired and it was pretty much because of us, in including Dave Berman. So he got the ax. It was exactly, TJ, what you said. People wanted Fight for Your Right to Party. They wanted No Sleep Till Brooklyn. They didn't want something new and different. In fact, on his way out, Berman said, Capital was a beer drinking label when I got here, and it was a beer drinking label when I left. They shot some videos. One was Hey Ladies, which premiered on MTV. Another was Shake Your Rump. Another was directed by Nathaniel Hornblower. That was the video for Shadrach, which was kind of a neon rotoscoping type thing. Oh, and since we're talking about words, mm -hmm. can I just say something? You can. <clears throat> Last week, there was the great debate. Do you remember, TJ, about a specific word? It is a backronym. Backronym. A, okay. An acronym deliberately formed out of a phrase whose initial letters spell out a particular word or words. Okay. So there was a word for it. It wasn't what you said it was, but there was, it is a thing that there is. It is a thing. And okay. I, I found it and I'm very happy because I was like, yes, okay. I swear. And I think your argument was Beastie Boys is in a backronym. Beastie correct? Boys is a backronym. Gotcha. Yes. So the album was unfortunately a complete flop. Sales were underwhelming. They didn't even tour on the album. Some of the videos got played on MTV. Eh, lukewarm. But as TJ, you put it, this was certainly not the end here. This album would change music forever. Despite the poor commercial reception, it was getting a lot of critical acclaim. Dave Hildebrandt of, the of Time Magazine wrote, at risk of sounding ridiculous, now bear in mind, this is at the time of the album, at risk of sounding ridiculous, let us assert right off the bat that Paul's Boutique is as important a record in 1989 as Dylan's Blonde on Blonde was in 1966. Oh, wow. He called it. The album would go gold. However, in the next 10 years, Paul's Boutique would be certified double platinum. So it just consistently kept selling. It kept going. In fact... And, and it's funny how, how it's thought of in retrospect now. It, it's considered a work of genius. Yes. It, I was going to say, it's I mean, some people call it the Sgt. Pepper of rap. But. Mm -hmm. and, and Berman, actually, it's the only platinum album he still has on his wall to this day. He was interviewed and said, I'm probably more proud of this signing than anything else I've ever been involved with. I know what people thought when we signed them, that we were crazy. 
and I never thought it was crazy. Mm. And he lost his job over it. I mean, right. It obviously launched the career of the Dust Brothers, who produced Tone Loke's album, Loke After Loke Dark. After Dark. Uh-huh. Uh, they would go on to produce the critically acclaimed Odele for Beck, and right. I'll let you take this one. They did Umbop for the Hansons. They did. Yep. Hansen's first album, their self-titled album, they were the producers on Umbop. Actually, if you watch the video for Umbop, they're playing their instruments, I do believe, inside the Dust Brothers living room. Are they really? Yeah. That's I, think that's, I think that's their living room. And Odalite. And Odalite, yep. I mean, Beck's pretty cool, but the Hansen! <laughs> but uh, as we said, you know, Paul's Boutique is an undeniable masterpiece at this point. You know, VH1 considered it one of the best albums of all ever. Uh, record companies and artists started being much more concerned with their material, shall we say, which as you pointed out, TJ, led to a number of legal issues, none the least of which was against Biz Marquee. Yup. <laughs> yep. By, by Gilbert, Gilbert O'Sullivan. By Gilbert O'Sullivan. Correct, which was a big one. Uh, so this album was really a work of genius. And as we close out, I will have a parting track for you. But I mentioned earlier that these are the two most pivotal albums. First of all, I don't think Paul's Boutique can ever be duplicated. Never again. There are certainly samples in music today, but it is... It, it would cost too much to make now. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it, it would not be made because it would cost too much. The, the samples would be too expensive because like you said, they, they used at least 105 perhaps up to 300 mm-hmm. and it costs them and essentially you, you you could make it but then you're going to make no money for it exactly and i think that and licensed ill are the most pivotal albums because licensed ill defined the beastie boys and paul's boutique redefined them as something completely different before we sign off we will have our weekly dis- 20 foot penis and a 20 foot hydraulic which which by the way that Hydraulic Penis is still in a storage facility in New Jersey I'm, to this day. Really? Yep. I'm really sorry, guys. My brother has Tourette's. <laughs> Very sad. But uh, our topic for this week is going to be top five Beastie Boys videos, because next episode we will get into the video era. We kind of broke ground on it here, but we're going to get more in depth next week. So I think we start with LD. All right. Your top five Beastie Boys videos. First of all, it's not a top five. It's actually a top six. Okay. Um, or honorable mention. Me too. Specifically <laughs> because this song is probably one of my favorite Beastie Boys songs of all times. But there is a, I guess there is a proper music video for it, but I've never seen it. I've only seen this particular... You've never seen the video? I've never seen the video. I've seen this particular performance. It is an incredibly impressive performance where the BC boys start inside the subway and then they make their way up the staircase, down the streets of New York, and into the David Letterman Studios while performing Check It Out. It's one take, So that is, it's one take. That is my honorable mention for the Beastie Boys best video because it's so impressive. It's not an official video, but it is for me a an incredible performance that is on film. So that's my honorable mention. Okay. Five to one. Okay. Five to one. Okay. So my number five video is actually an open letter to NYC. Good one. Again, it's a great song. It's 
the song is an open letter to New York City after the attacks on 9-11. And as most of our listeners know from the past, I was actually in New York on 9-11. So this place has a, this, this song has a, a place in my had, had Had moved there literally days beforehand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, four days beforehand. I moved there right. on September 7th. And uh, I think I've told the story on the show before, but yeah. So this song has a, a, a particular spot in my heart. And it's actually just like stock footage of New York City and footage of the boy shot and like them hanging out on a stoop. It's nothing amazing, incredible. It's just, it, it's a story told from the heart. Uh, number five, I'm going to get some heat for this. I know I am because this is where I'm going to put sabotage. Five? Oof. Oh, four, four. Oh, number four. Four. Four is sabotage. Still. <laughs> Still. Uh, I mean, here's the thing. Maybe, maybe once you guys hear what my top two are, I'm probably still going to think you suck. (laughs) Well, you suck all day. Sabotage is a really, it's, it's a fantastic short film. That's what it is. It is a short film. It is, it elevates the art form for what it is. It is fun storytelling. It is like great costuming. They've got the 1970s cop drama down Absolutely. it's awesome and it's spike jones mm-hmm. who is an incredible director and uh i really loved what he did with fat boy slim so that is my that is my number four number three i didn't go with intergalactic i Ooh. went with body moving good choice though i went with good body choice. moving it's so bangaroo off the wall <laughs> it's so it's so stupid it's crazy like a guy gets beheaded then he's back and it's like taped on it's and on then <laughs> And then uh, there's like ninjas and the, it, the airplanes, and then they blow up, and then a bird flies in a hole, and it's like, like a Bond movie. It is so yeah. stupid, but it makes me so happy. It's a it's, great one. Yeah, my number two is make some noise. Good one. Okay. And that's because my number one is fight for your right to party. Yeah. You okay. have to put those two together because it is a direct lead into each other, like. 40 years later, they, they revisit that, that music video. So uh, make the noise. If you guys haven't seen it is in two, like there's two different versions you can see of make some noise. There is the five minute version, which includes cameos by Danny McBride, Frodo. Elijah Wood. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that Elijah Wood. Thank Mm you. It's Seth Rogen. Tons of SNL alum, Meyer Rudolph, Chloe Salvini, tons of cameos. So there's like a five minute version, but it starts with them crawling outside the door from you got to fight for your right to party. Now there's another version of make some noise that is a half hour long and there is time travel and petty crime and it is fantastic. So I suggest seeing both of those, but when it comes to my number one, that is the quintessential Beastie Boys song, even though they have distanced themselves from it and they hate it. <laughs> that was our entry into the life of the Beastie Boys. That was our first thing. And it is iconic. I have always wanted to go to a party where they started a pie fight. So <laughs> those are my choices. Okay, there you have it. Uh, TJ, how about your list? 
Okay. I also went with a um, honorable mention. Uh, it's not. This is not my favorite song of theirs necessarily, and it's not really one of my favorite videos. But I, I can appreciate art when I see it, and that would be Shadrach. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if my understanding is correct, it's every frame is hand painted. Yes, it is. So the painstaking nature of making it is almost akin to the painstaking nature of making the album, I would think, that it's it's featured on, which is Paul's Boutique. Um, and if you've never seen it, just pull it up. It's 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 visually stunning. Yeah, right. So uh, you know, it's it's not necessarily my even my favorite Beastie Boy song by a long way, but you you just see that video and you're just like, wow, somebody spent a lot of time on that. Rotoscoping is a an art form that I don't think gets enough credit. There is a fantastic series called Undone mm. on Amazon Prime. If you guys haven't seen it, please go watch it because I would love slash hate a second season of this. But it's rotoscoped and it is such an incredibly beautiful art form because it's like that uncanny valley, but it doesn't make you uncomfortable. Okay. Um, <laughs> not, number five. Number five, there's nothing. It, it's a low-budget, cheesy-looking video, but I'm no sleep till Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, because, uh, first of all, the the, the low-fi, low-budget quality of it is actually kind of endearing. Mm -hmm. um, and I can't, they're either taking the piss out of or taking a piss on, I don't know which, um, the whole hair metal vibe. Yes. That's kind of what they're mocking there. I mean, you have a big stupid gorilla playing the guitar who ends up with the the hot chick at the end of the video, and you've got the dude from Slayer in it, and there's, there's a lot of really cliche, silly, but there, but it's it's a mockery really of what hair metal videos were. But I mean, it's it's almost like they were openly urinating on Europe or Winger. <laughs> I can see that. Um, so I'm going to throw that one at number five. Um, number four, let's see. I didn't really put mine in any particular order. Um, so I'm going to throw, so what you want at number four. Nice. Um, and, and again, this is as much because of, uh, of, um, what you're looking at kind of like with Shadrach. It was one of the first videos. If, if, if what I read was correct, that made use of, a band lip syncing at double time to their their song and then slowing it down. Yep. For that for that 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 slight that slightly slow mo effect. Then there's also if when they look to the side, is that like an homage to Predator? That's sort of it looks like the hunter yeah. the hunter infrared vision when they look off to the side. And then it, there's like an, an almost negative effect on the skyline behind them. Well, any wager of who directed that video? Was it the same guy who directed uh, Beck's loser video? No, it was Nathaniel Hornblower. Um, oh, okay. That is yeah. my least... That is Are my we going to reveal later who that is or... Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, I know, I mean, I know who it is. I just yeah. didn't know if you were saving it. Okay. Yes. Um, that's my least favorite Beastie Boys song. So what you want? Yeah. Really? Really? Yeah. Oh, I love that song. It's, it, I don't like the way the vocals sound. But it was and landmark I, directorial I don't. Yeah. Well, first of all, I really like the song, but then the other thing is, it's just, again, it's visually, it just kind of grabs you, or it does me anyway. 
Mm. So I'm going to go with that at number four. Number three, I'm going to go with, and I'm leaning heavy on on early, as you can tell. Uh, number three for me is Hey Ladies. Yeah. I don't know what in the hell is going on in that video. I don't know if it's an homage to disco or to eight millimeter porn or to oil derricks or mariachi bands or giant fake asses or karate. I don't know. Bananas. I don't know. I just know it's cool and I liked it. It's bananas, yeah. Yeah. Um, I really don't have much more to 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 say other than that. There's no there's no depth. It's just it it's it's cool and I liked it. Number two for me is gonna be fight for your right to party. Mm. For a lot of reasons. One, this was the introduction to the world, certainly was to me, of the Beastie Boys. It projected an attitude of defiance, of sneer, of that's what I want to be. <laughs> but when you saw it, it, that's that's kind of, and I know that they ended up hating it in retrospect, and I think not playing it at a certain point. I mean, they just, they dropped it from playlists. They didn't want, to, they didn't want anything to do with it anymore, disassociated themselves from it. That's an image we no longer endorse and people, there was a joke and people didn't get it. Well, I didn't get it when I was 12 and I thought, but I just thought it was, that gave them a cool factor. And I, I, I'm going to say bonus points for Tabitha Soren taking a pie in the face in the middle of that video. Oh, that's right. Really? Yeah. Tabitha, if you watch one of the girls in the video participating in the food fight is Tabitha Soren, who went on to MTV News and I, I think to a legitimate newscasting career. And she married. She's in that video. I don't I don't know how she ended up there, but that's just one of the neat little footnotes to that that whole video. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and the number one for me, sabotage. Yeah. <laughs> for obvious reasons, because 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 it's amazing. It's almost like Chips and Cheech and Chong had a sloppy one nighter and a baby came out of it. And that baby kind of there's just uh, there's a great it's I want to say it's a spoof of bad 70s cop shows but it it almost mirrors them Mm. right down to the clearly like fake mannequin bodies being thrown off bridges and stuff I love it I I love everything about that video and can I this is off the top of my head but can I offer a fun fact fun fact the uh country artist uh, who, who I'm a fan of Charlie Robison did a video in 2001, I believe, somewhere around there, for a song called I Want You Bad. It is an homage to Sabotage. Huh. I don't think I've seen that video. So, Well, it's interesting because Yauk actually said that the clothing they were given were standard CIA-issued attire. So, <laughs> But right down to the bad mustaches and haircuts and clothing choices. And again, the, uh, the body being thrown out of the car that is clearly a dummy. I mean... Obviously, intentionally obvious, dummy. It's a it makes it adds such a great cheese factor. It's like this is a lost episode of chips. <laughs> I expect Punch and John to drive up any moment any moment on their motorcycles. Fantastic. And as usual, we with this series have a write-in. My good friend Mark has been gracious to contribute his top five videos, and here they are in order. So this order is intentional. Number five is going to fight for your right to party. He goes on to say, I remember watching this on MTV in kindergarten and then trying to dress up like MCA afterwards. So there you go. Uh, Number four, he pins my choice as well, Intergalactic. Did we forget about that one? Okay. Uh, I said it. I said I I was going to go for Intergalactic Ah. for my my choice, but I went for body moving. Body moving? Yeah. He's got that one a little later. There's a fantastic... Uh, family on youtube I'm, I'm sure you can search it but 
they did a almost shot for shot version of intergalactic i, I do I think i've seen that i want to see that actually yeah it was it was actually really funny then he actually breaks the mold here he goes to the hello nasty album with three mcs and one dj huh that's okay. where they're in kind of like yoga poses i don't think i've ever seen that one um, I, I don't think i'm familiar with that one that's a good one that's a funny one number two goes to ld your pick body moving because it's just so bananas it's bonkers <laughs> yeah, it's totally bananas uh, and number one, Sabotage. I mean, Am I the only one that's not going to pick Sabotage for my number one? Uh, just spoiler alert, that's my number one. But uh, my preceding list was actually uh, Body Moving, So What You Want. Again, I like the song. I hate it. I, say, I do too. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I find it, uh, that seems like a song that LD would like. Yeah. Yeah, just, I don't. It's, it's the, I think it's like that driving, almost static guitar and the vocals are really gruff and like and and they're intentionally fuzzed a little it's mm -hmm. almost like listening to um like a street side preacher or something there's like a, a yeah. crappy mm. static equality but it's intentional and i really like it and I, I don't think that's a very sample heavy song at all is it will is that not mostly you know you are correct um as we get into our next episode we'll actually talk about this album and their return to playing instruments well let me yeah. let, okay let me put it to you this way that song is the equivalent of uh honey what do you do when you're cooking that drives me up the wall and i beg you nay cry to you to stop the, the fan the fan okay we have a fan over our oven and it drives me at the wall because it's at like a certain like hurts like it's rotating and it's worrying it physically pains me and i think that song does the same thing and mm. i think it's that it's there is a frequency that it's giving off that is just physically uncomfortable for me mm. but it, it's a it's an original song i like the delivery i like the the slightly blared staticky lyrics i like the i don't know if it I, is, it, is that an organ on that or they use a keyboard yeah okay but it's uh, anyway it's a cool song i really like it and the video is awesome the video is awesome i'm gonna follow that with the one two punch fight for your right to party and then make some noise because i feel like they're sequential uh the half hour make some noise is just a genius piece of work it's art i mean it's just it's high art i would say uh and then of course my number one is sabotage because mm, okay. it's sabotage and we it's sabotage uh, let's do our socials, and then I'll do a closing song, and uh, you'll have to come back next week when we go into the next album and stage of career for Adam Yauch and the Beastie Boys. Okay, so if you guys think that we're doing an awesome job, uh, we're actually in the process of restructuring this right now, so uh, we will hope to unveil the new Patreon for Rock and Roll Heaven, but if uh, you would like to throw some coin our way, you can do that at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. Our Twitter is rock and roll LT. Our Instagram, rock and roll heaven LT. Our Facebook, Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. Wander over there and check out the new photos of the hosts, uh, which includes a fantastic picture of my brother and his dog. Because <laughs> I couldn't change it once I changed it, and I'm sorry. I was gonna a go a two-year-old picture of me next to a cannon <laughs> <laughs> with my dogs. <laughs> no, I think it's mom's. I think it's mom's office. Because mom will Is just randomly take photos of you because you don't like having your picture taken. But I, I hate, I despise having my picture taken. I sent you um, a stick version of myself, like a stick drawing, and you said you wouldn't want to use that. And then I sent uh, something else that was really stupid. Was it like up my nose or? I don't think I ever got that one. 
I sent a really weird, a couple of really weird ones. And so I guess those were rejected, but um, okay. Yeah. Just, just in the spirit of people actually knowing what you look like, because I want people to log onto our Facebook and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's what they look like. <laughs> really? Oof. Yeah. yeah. Oof. <laughs> so you can check that out at rock and roll heaven pod. Uh, still not saying our website. And you can email us at rockandrollheavenlp at gmail.com. And please make sure that you check out all the other awesome Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. And with that, guys, thank you so much for checking this episode out. Please make sure you check us out next week for part three of Adam Yelk. And I guess that's a goodbye for me. Uh, T, do you have anything you would like to say to our audience? Bye, buddy. All right. All right, so we're going to close out here. Now that you have our socials, what are your favorite Beastie Boys videos? We'd love to hear from you. For the record, we own the Criterion Collection, so there is no wrong answer in my opinion. You can pick any of these videos, and they're classic. TJ, you mentioned one from Shadrach, and that is actually the song I'm going to close today's episode with. It's one of the standouts on Paul's Boutique for two reasons. Uh, One is the Beastie Boys undeniable ability to just share a brain the lyric swapping in this song is insane the way they finish each other's lyrics talk over each other two of them start one backs off you don't get that i think you have to have that it i think to accomplish that and finally the reason they wrote the song the source material is in fact from the bible chapter three of the book of daniel now this is highly biographical when you hear about it this is the story of three jewish brothers who shadrach meshach abednego right who refused to bow to the ruler of babylon he in turn cast them into a fire when he goes to see because they aren't dying he finds them walking unharmed amongst the flames which is suspected to be an allegory for their relationship with def jam that's kind of i was going to ask if that's what if if that was a reference to reuben it indeed is. But, okay. Babylon, yep. And that is the masterpiece I will leave you with. As LD said, thanks for joining us. We're looking forward to seeing you again next week. We close out with Shadrach from Paul's Boutique.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 